Good times. TheCooperageProject.org And from listeners like you. Welcome to the local edition news and information, keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Coming up tonight, we'll get the latest news from the Sullivan County Democrat, our weekly news roundup with Joe Abraham. Coming up in the second half of the program. We're also going to get the latest from the Center for Workforce Development in Sullivan County, our weekly Sullivan County check-in. And we got the latest news from Albany coming right up, but first we have to talk about the weather. Because a winter storm warning is in effect from 6 this evening. Well, it's in effect now until 7 o'clock tomorrow evening. The snowfall may be heavy at times, especially this evening and into the overnight with up to one and a half inches per hour falling at its peak. Wind gusts also of up to 35 miles per hour mean that blowing snow and hazardous travel conditions are likely, especially along Route 17 in New York, I-84 in Pennsylvania. Now, uh, we've been saying six to nine inches of snow accumulation in our forecast today. That's possible in our area with up to 10 inches possible in the highest parts of the Catskills. That's what the National Weather Service is saying in this winter storm warning. Earlier, Hudson Valley weather's accumulation forecast was saying four to eight inches for most of our listening area. So uh, a lot of Delaware and Sullivan counties, Northern Wayne and Pike and Pennsylvania with six to 10 inches in just the highest parts of the Catskills, mostly in Ulster County, maybe just the Western edge of Delaware. Well, around five o'clock this evening, Hudson Valley weather actually updated their snowfall forecast, uh, which they don't always do so early before a storm actually hitting us. And they extended that potential six to 10 inch zone to include most of Sullivan County, north of Monticello. So from Bethel in the west and Fallsburg in the east on up to Livingston Manor and Roscoe with Liberty in the middle of all those. Uh, Hudson Valley weather emphasizes that as always things can change. Also, actual snowfall amounts will vary by location to location. And I will add that most of the time actual snowfall is less than what most of the forecasters' predictions are heading into a storm. But the fact that uh, the weather outlet that's most focused on our area has their snowfall prediction increasing rather than decreasing as a storm approaches. Uh, that gives us some idea of how things are trending uh, as the storm actually reaches us here. Uh, this is also expected to be a wet, heavy snow, which will make shoveling very difficult. That's what the National Weather Service is emphasizing. Uh, I will add to that that sometimes heavy snow does affect tree limbs and power lines, too. So you could be might be aware of those potential impacts. And if you do lose power, remember, Solomon County has warming centers open every night in Liberty and in Monticello. And the overnight low tonight is expected to be about 24 also, with the weather and uh, a storm approaching, there'll be uh, delays and closings. We haven't heard too many yet, but uh, some local hospitals and doctor's offices have already told us that they will be delayed on opening for tomorrow. All Garnet Health doctors and urgent care locations will be opening on a two-hour delay tomorrow. All Garnet Health doctors, urgent care locations, two-hour delay tomorrow. Wayne Memorial Hospital has also announced delays at its centers the Hamlin Family Center walk-in providers open at 1 p.m. Lake Region Urgent Care all this all services open at 1 p.m. Hospital outpatient lab and X-ray services in the following locations open at 10 a.m. That's Carbondale, Forest City, Tafton, Lords Valley, Hamlin, 
Route 6 in Honesdale. Again, those locations for lab and x-ray services are open at 10 a.m., uh, pointing out that Hamlin uh, has lab and x-ray services opening at 10 a.m., but walk-in providers still will not be opening until 1 p.m. So that's the delays on that. Also, uh, Sullivan County has rescheduled its walkable communities and comprehensive planning trainings. They will now be held on March 30th, beginning at 4 p.m., and Sullivan County Division of Planning Community Development is inviting local planning, zoning, and municipal officials, as well as anybody in the community who's interested, to come to training workshops to explore how thoughtful planning and zoning can shape a vibrant rural community. And so also they're actually uh, exploring the question of what is a planning board or zoning board administration's role in this process Representatives from the Department of State will lead two training sessions Thursday, March 30th at the SUNY Sullivan Upper Herman Library Conference Room in Lock Sheldrick. So upstairs at the library at SUNY Sullivan. First seminar is on creating walkable communities. The second is using your community's comprehensive plan. And both of those are happening the same evening, which is now March 30th. Okay, moving on to news from Albany, the latest uh, from Karen DeWitt, senior Albany correspondent from New York State Public Radio, talking about minimum wage. The state's joint legislative fiscal committees will hold a hearing Wednesday on the portion of Governor Kathy Hochul's budget plan that concerns New York's workforce. The hearing will address Hochul's proposal to link New York's minimum wage to the inflation rate, but advocates say the plan falls short. Here's Karen DeWitt. Hochul's plan would permanently index the minimum wage to the yearly rate of inflation. It would begin with a minimum wage of $15 an hour. That's the rate in New York City and for fast food workers statewide. Advocates, including many of the state's major labor unions and anti-poverty groups, say that starting wage is seriously inadequate, though. They say it won't meet the needs of workers who are struggling to pay for necessities and who are crushed by skyrocketing prices. Paul Son of the National Employment Law Project says the minimum wage should first be gradually increased to $21.25 an hour between now and 2027. That's the level that the $15 wage would have reached by then if it had kept up with inflation and worker productivity growth since it hit the $15 level back in 2019. Zahn says under Hochul's proposal, the current $15 minimum wage indexed to inflation would rise by just 40 cents an hour, or about $13 a week for a full-time job. $13 is barely enough to buy you a sandwich in New York, and it's far too little for a, to make a dent in the spiraling costs families are facing. Elisa Nam, a part-time worker for UPS, says she's considered an essential worker who helped keep things running during the pandemic. She says she was born in New York City, loves it, and wants to stay. But it's one of the most expensive cities in the world, and she works two jobs just to survive. Gas has gone up. Food has gone up. Rent has gone up. Tuition has gone up. Daycare has gone up. The MTA is about to raise the fare, but wages have stayed the same. That's really unsustainable. Senator Jessica Ramos sponsors the bill to phase in the $21.25 minimum wage and then adjust it to the rate of inflation each year. She says because of inflation, the $15 hourly wage is really worth closer to $12 an hour. Further than that, the state should not be in the business of codifying poverty wages. We've done tremendous work to actually start tackling uh, the grave inequality that we live in here in New York State. We're very few, specifically 120 billionaires, and the rest of us have 
a great disparity in wealth between us. Advocates say there's another flaw in the governor's plan. The yearly annual increase for inflation would be capped at three percent, even if inflation is higher than that. The U.S. Department of Labor reports that inflation from January 2022 to January 2023 was 6.4 percent. Michael Kink, with the Strong Economy for All Coalition, says there's momentum in the Democratic-led state assembly and Senate to adopt the higher minimum wage proposal. He says the measure to begin adjusting for inflation at $21.25 an hour has gained multiple sponsors, including the chairs of the labor committees in both houses. We feel really good about the array of sponsors. There are conservative Democrats. There are moderate Democrats. Kink hopes to see the proposal included in the Senate and Assembly budget plans due out in mid-March. The state's business leaders, including the Business Council, prefer Hochul's plan, which starts at fifteen dollars an hour. In Albany, I'm Karen Dewitt. And thanks to Karen Dewitt, New York State Public Radio, for that update. This is the local edition. There's a new opportunity for local residents of Sullivan County who are interested in acquiring basic carpentry skills. And this is thanks to a partnership between Sullivan County's Center for Workforce Development and Sullivan BOCES. And uh, up to 15 individuals can participate in a nine-week program starting this April. Classes will take place twice a week at the Reuben Pollock Education Center in Liberty. And to learn more about this, Radio Catskills' Patricio Rabio spoke to Lorraine Gableine, Director for Sullivan County Center for Workforce Development, to find out more. He first asked her, how did this partnership come about? We've always been a mandated partner with Sullivan County BOCES through our one-stop operating system, which is required under New York State. BOCES used to have adult funding education, but it was very limited participation within the county. So we, they have not actually offered adult education now in probably about eight years. So we've always been kind of working with them, trying to figure out some things. And the trades right now are huge um, within within everywhere. It's not just Sullivan County, it's everywhere. You now, the, the need for people to hire skilled individuals is has increased because of the housing you know that's going on within all areas there's a major need for housing there's a major need for therefore for construction laborers so yeah we met we've gone over a bunch of things we got the county behind us and the county you know agrees with what needs to be done within the county and therefore this has this pilot program has come out offering 15 seats for the first pilot, which will be paid for either under the Center for Workforce Development funding streams or by the county funding. So, What kind of skills will the new students learn in this carpentry class? Well, they would be learning basic skills as, you know, identification of materials, identification of tools, how, how to learn, you know, how to read a tape measure. Also, concrete, wood framing, interior specialties versus commercial specialties, exterior projects, building code information. So there's a lot of information that will be extremely good for these, you know, for anybody taking this course. And as I had indicated, you know, or as everything had indicated in the brochures, it's a non-credit bearing course. So there are no credits for this. And it's short term. It's just to get basic skills put together for individuals to get a job and be hired and provide the construction businesses out there with employees. 
This is a nine-week program, and it will start April 10th and held every Monday and Wednesday from 5.30 to 9 p.m. at the Rubin Pollock Education Center at Ferndale Road in Liberty. Now, you mentioned this is not for credit, but at the end of this course, will you help the student get placed in the job or give them resources that they can go out and get a job? What the goal is of the Center for Workforce Development is to, you know, up, help everybody update their resume, um, perfect their interview skills, and hopefully have businesses on site, construction businesses, and with the anticipation of being hired as a construction laborer for everybody. So, you know, I've talked to several businesses throughout the last several months who are looking to hire people, so hoping that they will be on board with this. Um, you know, maybe if some people don't, I mean, we are always here to assist everybody with hiring needs and doing, you know, updating resumes and interview skilling. So the, the anticipation at the end of this is that all 15 will have a job. That's something great to work towards, and hopefully that does happen that all 15 of these participants get a job. You mentioned the funding. The funding for this will come from where? The Center for Workforce Development always is completely federally funded. Through eligibility requirements, we will determine if Center for Workforce can pay for this funding or the county legislature has been kind enough to offer a few dollars to make sure that this class is completed and filled, whether people are eligible for our program or not. So it is going in on a first-come, first-served basis. Right now, I mean, you know, we've got over 30 applicants as of right now even. So, you know, it's going to be down to, you know, who actually, um, you know, could be eligible and who, you know, who really wants to do this. You know, it is required that they're out of school. The main reason... The only reason for being out of school requirement is that there is no adult funding before, as I stated, with BOCES. So if some, if one of the youth are still in school, they have all opportunities through their primary school to sign up for anything in BOCES. And BOCES offers so many different, so many different classes and trainings for all of the in-school youth these days. My main concern is the people who are already out of school and are seeking either new skills, a new job. They don't have a job currently. They need to, you know, be skilled in something. So, I mean, that's kind of why this is being was put together for somebody over 18 years of age. I'm anticipating this course to fill up extremely quickly, but, you know, that's okay. That's what the what a pilot is. So after this, the anticipation is having more classes like this. So we want those lists of people. We want to keep them informed. Um, you know, and the next program that can be put together will include those people. So you know, we have to start somewhere, and this is where we're starting. So hopefully. Hopefully, it's a, it's a huge success. And then hopefully, if we do well on this pilot on the construction trade, there's so many other in-high-demand jobs out there right now, like HVAC and auto mechanics. And, you know, we're hoping 
to be able to include those in our next offerings. To find out more or to sign up, contact the Center for Workforce Development at 845-794-3340, 845-794-3340, or email sccwd at sullivanny.us, sccwd at sullivanny.us. We were talking to Laureen Gableline, Director for Sullivan County Center for Workforce Development, letting us know about the upcoming classes to learn how to do basic construction. Thank you so much for joining us on the program. All right. Thank you for having me. Have a good night. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Rubio. Okay. Thank you, Patricio. Thank you, Lorraine. We're going to take a break. When we come back, the latest local news, it's our weekly news roundup with Sullivan County Democrat. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. This is Callison Stratton, host of Liberation Station, a new show that highlights female and femme-presenting musicians with a little sprinkling of history and goings-on in our community. Our debut show airs this Saturday, March 4th at 7 p.m., featuring duets and supergroups to kick off Women's History Month. It's the debut of Liberation Station, Saturday evening at 7, only on Radio Catskill. Listen local. Welcome back to the local edition news and information, keeping you connected here in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. And being Monday, this is the day that we get the latest local news with our weekly news roundup with the Sullivan County Democrat. For that, we turn to Joe Abraham, managing editor at Sullivan County Democrat. Joe, thank you for joining us on air again. Oh, no problem. It's always a pleasure to, to come on air before the snowstorm. Something that we've talked about before, that I've talked about before on the local edition, but not in a while. I know that they're looking at changing regulations around farm labor, specifically around uh, overtime and, and wages. That's something that's been going on in New York State. Are there new developments with that story? Yeah, so pretty much this has been something going on for a number of years. I think, gosh, Pre-pandemic here in Sullivan County, we had a big forum that was held at SUNY Sullivan. I think there were different forums held across the state yeah. uh, where people could come and express, uh, you know, how they felt about potential changes to the farm labor uh, overtime threshold. Currently, uh, it's at 60 hours is that threshold mark, and there was talk about lowering it um, because, uh, you know, there are a lot of advocates that felt that you know, in, in the interest of workers and trying to ensure that, you know, they're being properly compensated for the work that they do. Um, there was some discussion about that. And, of course, a lot of farmers had come out, um, and, and those in the agriculture community who warned against what this would do uh, to the sort of the farm market. Uh, so pretty much, you know, if you look at the history of the Catskills, if we keep it at a hyper-local level, uh, there used to be lots of farms here. And there's still a good number, but that number has been shrinking steadily for years, whether it be costs, whether it be you know, the, the cost of doing business versus how much you're actually getting paid for certain things, if you're looking at the dairy farm as an example. So there's been a lot of challenges faced on these farms and keeping them going. So pretty much uh, you know, a lot of farmers have expressed opposition to this. 
because of, of costs that they already have with inflation and stuff, and now this labor cost added to it. And essentially what this does is the threshold is 60 hours. And for the next, for every two years, the threshold is going to decrease by four hours. So in, you know, next year it'll be 56 hours. And two years later it'll be 50 hours. And eventually by 2032 it's going to hit 40, and that's when it's going to stop, at least at this juncture. And, um, and this pretty much decision came after, like I said, there was different hearings held. There was a farm laborers board that looked into it that met with stakeholders. Uh, after this ruling came out or was finalized uh, last week, uh, we took a look and, and reached out to some of our elected representatives. Uh, our U.S. representative down in Washington, Mark Molinaro, had uh, called this a potential death blow to farmers and was very critical about it and said that he's introduced a bill that would... Um, not would keep this threshold from happening and he's trying to get through. Uh, we have, uh, you know, Senator Oberacher at the state level who's called it a kick in the teeth or, um, to the, um, you know, these hardworking farmers. And uh, Assemblywoman Gunther's uh, quote at the state level was sort of a mix. You know, she talked about, you know, one, how important the farms were in the communities and and um, and also, you know, not wanting to see them face more harm as far as economic. She also kind of did mention at the beginning of her statement that, you know, of course, we obviously care and want what's best for, for workers and stuff, too, So, um, and making sure that they're fairly compensated. So this is a, an interesting issue because I think the common person who's not necessarily has no stake in this fight, right, who's uh, not a farmer or, uh, you know, of course, we all have a stake in it to some degree because we rely on these communities. This is what we're getting in our farmers' markets and other uh, stuff food on our table, but for the, for the average person, you can understand why this could be a touchy subject because obviously there's been talks not just in the farm labor world, but in general about you know what should these wages be, what should you know certain rules and, and stuff be in place. Um, and in a way, you've seen sort of more pro worker legislation and, and 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 changes, you know, with minimum wage rising and that type of stuff. But in this case, um, you know, with threshold hours, you can definitely see you know, wanting to ensure that workers are treated fairly and compensated, but at the same time you can also understand why there would be concern on the agriculture side about the increased costs and what this could potentially uh, do, you know, moving forward for farms. Okay. Now getting even more local, you know, I grew up around here, Joe, and uh, we have a saying, uh, all roads lead to the Villa Roma, uh, but this time I guess uh, one of the roads that lead to the Villa Roma brought the Department of Labor there. What's the latest on that? Yeah, so an investigation by the U.S. Department of Labor resulted in the discovery of uh, federal pay and child labor violations uh, by two Calicoon-based resorts. Uh, in conjunction with the Wage and Hour Division, investigators had found that the Villa Roma Resort and Conference uh, Center and the Villa Roma Resort Lodges had failed to pay, uh, and this is what the report states, uh, correct overtime wages to tipped employees uh, not adhering to the higher New York State rate for hours over 40 hours in a single work week. Uh, the U.S. Department of Labor also said that the resorts uh, reportedly failed to include additional payments for commissions, bonuses, and side jobs while calculating the employee's regular rate of pay. Uh, and they said that a total of $40,691 was recovered by the division for the 56 employees impacted uh, to resolve the uh, resort's violations of the Fair Labor Standards Act. Uh, that's what, the, like I said, the U.S. Department of Labor reports. The investigation also found that the resorts owe an additional 9,452 in civil money penalties 
for federal child labor law violations. According to the investigation, uh, the resorts allowed 11 minors between the age of 14 and 15 to work more hours than what is permitted by federal law. Uh, it was identified that there were several instances in which a number of young employees had worked uh, past 9 and 10 p.m. And that's what the report states. Um, we did try to reach out to the villa and didn't hear back by press time. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, um, you know, I guess next steps forward will be with them, you know, once the fines are paid and stuff. There's been a lot of news surrounding the villa lately um, unrelated to this that, um, you know, it's of, of a potential sale that might be in the works. But um, nothing officially as far as a closing or anything at this time. But um, And I don't know if, you know, this is, I don't, this is my opinion now. I'm not, you know, importing right. a, a news fact. I don't believe this would be a deterrent to that because for a resort with this much history and stuff, while, of course, these violations need to be taken very seriously and no one wants to have to pay any money for fines, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm sure, a very minor expense uh, compared to, you know, what they've, uh, you know, been able to have as far as a successful business for years. So, Yeah. Well, I'd like, uh, if if they do get back to you, do let us know that the next time we have you on, because I would like to hear what the Villa Roma's response is to this report. Um, and then finally, is is there is there any other news that you're following? Sure. So I'll just give a quick rundown of some interesting things that we have uh, going on in tomorrow's newspaper. Um, the North Branch Cider Mill has some, some good history in the region, and uh, it was recently purchased by uh, a couple of uh, area transplants. Uh, and uh, they are going to be working to kind of put new life into it, um, you know, with the cider press and some other different things. So that will be exciting for the North Branch community. Uh, we have a story on our front page by Gene Sager uh, detailing all of that project. Uh, over in Rock Hill, uh, they're potentially getting an automated car wash. Um, it's, uh, you know, the planning board gave it approval to move forward, pending uh, that it passes the sewer review. Um, so there's, you know, fun planning board terminology there. Uh, we also have some coverage. The The conservative party uh, for the county had their annual dinner last Thursday. Um, unlike the other two political parties, Democrats, Republicans, who made endorsements last week, the conservative party has yet to make endorsements. This was just their annual dinner. I believe they're going to be interviewing candidates tomorrow. Um, and uh, at that point, after all those interviews are conducted, we should be hearing about who they are endorsing. Uh, we've already heard, like I said, who Republicans and Democrats locally have endorsed for the various legislative races, as well as the uh, county clerk and uh, district attorney races. And then finally, for a little bit of lifestyle news, we actually use the WJFF studios, which I'll put a plug in for, as a great place to record a podcast and do an interview. Uh, Carol Montana uh, was there with, um, and I was there too, with uh, Billy Vine, who used to be stage manager over at the Concord for many years, so we have an article uh, detailing his experiences um, in the Catskills and at the Concord and, and some photos. And he got to meet many really cool people from George Carlin, Florence Henderson, Sammy Davis Jr. And so we kind of have a, uh, even with that story, which is a good length story, it's still just, uh, you know, the, touching the surface as far as, um, you know, what kind of career Billy Vine had locally. And so that's a continuing series that we have. And then, of course, I'll even give a sports plug. Uh, high school playoffs have started, um, or they will be starting. Um, actually, they start over the weekend. So we have some information on what local county schools are doing um, as far as um, how they performed. And also 
the um, weather has caused some delays, so we'll be continuing to cover stuff this week. And on the college level, SUNY Sullivan won Region 15 by upsetting uh, both women won, and then the men upset SUNY Orange, who was 28-0 and before uh, the generals beat them this past weekend. Uh, so now they improved uh, and, uh, and are moving on to the the next step in their journey. All right. Well, there you go. Ending with some with some good local news. Uh, Joe, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us once again. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks. Okay, well, that's going to do it for the local edition tonight. Remember, winter storm warning is in effect until 7 o'clock tomorrow evening. Storm is on its way if it hasn't started snowing in your area yet. Up to 1.5 inches per hour possible, so uh, a heavy rate of snowfall, a heavy wet actual snow and uh, we've already heard about some delays tomorrow again real quick delays for local hospitals including all garnet health doctors and urgent care locations operating on a two-hour delay tomorrow way memorial hospitals hamlin family health center opening at one tomorrow lake region urgent care all services opening at one tomorrow and outpatient and lab and x-ray services in multiple locations uh opening at 10 a.m tomorrow This is Radio Catskill. Support comes from Jeff Bank, Sullivan County's community bank for over 100 years. Meeting banking needs with a variety of deposit and loan products. Member FDIC and an equal housing lender. National Mortgage Licensing System and Registry Identification Number 405318. Jeff Bank, still banking strong. From Livingston Manor, dining, shopping, and the arts at the gateway to the Catskill Park. LivingstonManorNY.com and from listeners like you. Set your controls for the heart of the sun and tune in to hear the psychedelic synth situations of electronic hair pieces with your host, Nikki Vito. In this new weekly program, I'll be spinning retro synth, psychedelic, and experimental records Thursday nights at 10 p.m. following the debut of Connect the Dots at 9, only on Radio Catskill. Listen local.